If you have your study guide, we'll be looking at section D today. Section D entitled The Trinity in Creation. When Yvonne and I were first married, we had a next door neighbor who was much older than I at that time, an experienced man who was an engineer, very precise in his deliberations, and he was a Jehovah's Witness. And he and I stayed up late in the evening arguing about the person of Christ. And he would pull out a verse like 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. And I would pull out a verse like John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he would pull out another verse, and I would pull out another verse, and we would carry on trying to determine what the Scripture said about the person of Christ, who he was, and about the Trinity. I wasn't going to budge in what I believed, and he didn't budge in what he believed. I don't know where he is today. But since that time, I have learned that there is a better approach to trying to explain the doctrine of the Trinity and who Jesus Christ is. And we want to look at that this morning as we think about the Trinity in creation. This will be our last lesson on 1 o'clock, which was creation, and we'll be moving on. Now, in Scripture, to whom is the work of creation ascribed? Here's a verse that we read a while ago, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now here is an interesting use of the words from and through. The first use is with the Father, and it says all things are from the Father. There's one God, the Father, from whom are all things. It's the Father who created matter. Matter comes from God, the Father. We would assume back in Genesis 1 where God began to first create something. But then there is someone else involved, we see, even in this verse. So as we go along, we're going to see that the persons of the Trinity are involved in the process of creation. We might call God the architect of creation. I'm calling him that. The scripture doesn't call him that. But it seems that God has a plan. And he has a plan in all things. And he tells us that, that he has a plan for us in the Old Testament. He tells his people Israel that he has a plan for them, plans for good and for their welfare, not for calamity. And then in the New Testament, he tells us that all things will work together for our good. He couldn't say that if he didn't have a plan. Now let's move on to John 1 and 1 through 3 that I mentioned. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. How would the Jehovah's Witnesses get around this verse? Well, they would change the word, uh, the, the God, to a God. And they would say that 
the Father, the Almighty God, created Jesus, the Mighty God. We would say, no, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, are self-existing forever and ever. Now, what does this say in connection with creation? Who is involved now? In the beginning was the Word. Well, we know that's Jesus, as we add in verse 14. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made from the Father through the Son, as they are working very closely in conjunction there. Last Sunday, we talked about Christ in the New Testament beginning His public ministry, and His first miracle recorded in the Gospel of John was changing the water into wine at the wedding feast, a creative miracle. Here's the Creator, now in human form, a man and God in the same person here on this earth, and He is identifying Himself as the Creator in a very subtle way, and yet establishing the fact that He is the one through whom all things were made at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, but in the New Testament, we see Christ at the very beginning of His ministry again creating as he did even back in Genesis. So we would say that Jesus Christ, the Son, is the builder. All things were made by him. And then we come to Genesis 1-2 and some other verses. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, there are some who would say this is just a wind that's blowing. But as we look in other parts of the Scripture, we see, no, this is a person, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. There are other verses that mention what the Spirit is doing. Psalm 104 and verse 30. Thou sendest forth thy Spirit, they are created. That's in the context of all the animals and birds we were reading about last Sunday. And thou renewest the face of of the earth. We certainly know that the Spirit worked in Psalm 51:10 where David asked to create in him a new heart and a clean spirit, O God. In the redemptive work in the New Testament, God comes to give us a new heart, one that would be responsive to him and to the things of his word. Now we are acquainted with the builder. Excuse me, another verse. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And in the New Testament, we see the disciples waiting on the day of Pentecost. And then the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're able to do uh, great miracles and spread the word. Now, many of us would believe that certainly there's God the Father. He has a plan. We're connected with his plan through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We have this relationship. But then we have some plans of our own that are not coming together the way that we would want them to. Perhaps we are not plugged in to the power source. The New Testament talks about grieving the Holy Spirit or even quenching the Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is grieved, then the power is not there. Uh, It's as if uh, your car had corroded battery cables and you're trying to get it to start and it just would barely turn over. You know that you have got a battery because something's happening, 
but the power's not there to really get cranking and moving. So I would suggest to you that we take a little inventory in our lives to see, are we plugged into the Spirit? Is there anything that would grieve the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts? So let me suggest to you, as we go through all of these important points of doctrine, that you will see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working throughout all of these activities that are going to take place. Sometimes a major role would be ascribed to one and then on other activities another, and yet they're all present there and they're all working together, and we will examine some of those things. So when the time comes for you to take a stand for who Christ is or even the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, you can say, well, the Father does the work of God, Jesus Christ, the Son, does the work of God and does things that only God can do. And the Holy Spirit does the work of God. And here are some places that I can show you that in the Scripture. And you want to be sure that you have those marked down because the time will likely come when you run into someone who knows well what they believe, but it might be based on an erroneous interpretation of the Scripture. So mark these verses in your Bible as we go along. Now we come to the creation. What does the creation do for you in a practical way? Did you ever think about it? It gives you existence, doesn't it? We wouldn't be here today if there were no creation. But there's some other things that we can learn from the creation as well. Last Sunday, we hit some of these verses But now we want to focus upon them in a little different perspective as we see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us working in all of these aspects of what God has made so that we may learn some things about Him from even just looking at the creation. I think spiritually, if you live in a large metropolis, you might lose a little something. You might lose a little of your zest for life If you're never out in the creation, perhaps that's the reason men go hunting all the time. I don't know about that. But I do know before Yvonne and I were married, I lived for a while in downtown New Orleans at the corner of Claiborne and Canal Streets. And I lived there just long enough to determine that I didn't want to live there anymore. I love the creation. And I wanted to be out in the creation or at least have it pretty near where you could go out for a walk in the afternoon and see what was happening. When you're out of contact with God's creation, some things begin to happen. You kind of lose the concepts of what God is teaching us in the Scripture. And here's what I would say about that. There is a theory of learning that says facts plus experience give meaning. Now, we have the facts in the Bible. There are all kinds of facts in the Bible, but if you have only the facts with regard to creation, then you don't get the experience of actually what is there. And if you understand what the Bible says and then you couple that with the reality of creation, you have a certain experience and then that gives meaning to those facts. So I want to encourage everybody on this beautiful Palm Sunday afternoon to take a nice walk in creation and think about some of these things that we're saying here this morning. It just seems to me to add a certain validity and emphasis 
to what God is saying in the Scripture. And that's the reason I like to take a little pocket testament along with me and just read some things and think about some things and take a long walk and kind of let it soak in a little bit. Creation can have a calming effect on body and soul. So let's look and see what creation reveals about God. I don't think there's anything new here, but we want to get these down into uh, one simple presentation. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Now, what does this help us to know about God? Something very important. You can look at the creation and you can see something. You may not be able to argue the point from creation. We'll look at that. But you can certainly see something. You can see that God exists from the creation. And existence is very important in philosophy class where you may be studying the non-existence of the existence or perhaps uh, some ontological divine simplicity as we try to grapple with uh, what's there, if anything is there. God exists. In the early days in England and Western culture, the early 1800s, there wasn't much question about the existence of God. There was a heretic who would come along from time to time, someone like Robert Ingersoll, and they would say, there is no God. But the use of the word atheist was not even prevalent back then. But then, in 1859, we had something happen that we studied last Sunday that allowed men to say, wait a minute, I don't have to believe in a God who exists. And what was it? It was the Darwinian explanation of where it all came from. And that has become very popular. In fact, the predominant idea about where things come from in our Western culture today. But as you look at creation, you can't escape it. God is there. And not only that, His eternal power and divine nature can be seen as well. And what Paul is saying is men knew God. But they turned away from it. And their foolish hearts became darkened and then they began to spiral down into uh, various kinds of sin that he describes in the rest of the chapter. So we see that God exists. But now, turn to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. This is another good one to mark in your Bible. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Have you ever had that feeling of wonder and awe on a starry evening? As you went out, perhaps you were in a place where there were no collateral lights to dim out what's there. Way out in the country somewhere on a mountaintop perhaps, and you see the heavenly hosts. And it reminds us of the awesome might and power of God. How did all these things get there? And we're just seeing one tiny fraction of what's there. When we look at the 
entire sky. Well, it was a mighty God who created those things by His great power. And if He created all of that, then He has the power to take care of whatever problems or troubles may be going on in my life at this present moment. So if you want to witness to somebody, take them out on a boat, on a lake, on a clear night, and show them the grandeur and splendor of what God has made. If they won't listen to you, turn over the boat and then offer them a life preserver. That would be a good um, analogy there of what Christ has done for us. His mighty power evidenced in creation. Proverbs 3.19 The Lord, by wisdom, hath founded the earth. By understanding hath He established the heavens. Well, this one is obvious and one that you would be familiar with. What does this tell us about God? He not only has information, data, we have that in computers all over the land. But the question is, how do you get all that information to mesh together into a product that is going to really count for something or that's going to get the job done? Last week we talked about the intricacies of creation even on the molecular level. And certainly all of this has been put together by God and we see the attribute of His wisdom. Turn to Psalm 89 now, verse 11 and 12, and we're getting in a little bit deeper. Psalm 89, 11 and 12. The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine, the world and all it contains, thou hast founded them. The north and the south, thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shout for joy at thy name. Now we're getting down to things that people question now. They uh, might accept the existence of God, that maybe there is a God. They get a little more uneasy about His power. They're reluctant to admit His wisdom because it's man who has the wisdom. But when we get down to this one, this is where the trouble comes. People get upset at this point to say that God has the ownership of everything because He made everything. Now, remember, we had the explanation to come along. I think Satan has used this macro-evolution explanation to lead many people away from the truth. And if you weaken creation, then you weaken some other parts of the Scripture. Uh, Jesus referred to creation. And Paul referred to the creation. So we don't want to take out that important foundation. Uh, what do you have if you don't have the creation? Well, you've got to have some explanation. So the evolutionists would say, well, maybe it was always here, or maybe it just came out of nothing. Well, we would say spirit was always here in the form of the Holy Trinity, because spirit is not limited by time and space. Spirit is not made out of matter. God is spirit, and we worship him in spirit and in truth. So we have a tendency to rebel a little, get, a little bit against the idea of God's ownership because that means that he can do with me 
whatever he chooses to do. And there may be some things that happen in my life that don't look too good to me, but I want to say, wait a minute, that couldn't be God that allowed that to happen. That must be the devil that caused that. But the devil can't do anything whatsoever unless he is given permission by a sovereign God. And God has promised that whatever happens is going to work together for my good. So this gives me some encouragement that not only has God created me and I belong to him, but also I've been redeemed, I've been bought back, and now I am his adopted child in his family. If he can take care of the creation, he can certainly take care of me. Now we go a little bit further. Jeremiah 27.5, and this really makes the world uncomfortable. God says through Jeremiah, I have made the earth, the, I have made the earth, the men and the beast which are on the face of the earth by my great power and by my outstretched arm. And I will give it to the one who is pleasing in my sight. Then he brings it down to a specific case. To whom is he going to give it? Abraham, or maybe Daniel, or maybe Noah, a righteous man in his generation? Well, no, he's going to give it to Nebuchadnezzar. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him. And all the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their servant. What if God wants to give the whole world to the Chinese? We would probably fight against that, wouldn't we? But he can do it if he wants to do that. If he wants to give it to a godless nation, at least in terms of their government, sometimes he does that as a judgment against those who had his light but who had turned away from the light. Now, that seems to be a normal thing in nature when you think about it. If I have a model airplane kit and I build that model airplane, then I have a right to do with my model airplane what I want to do. I can fly it. I can strap some bottle, rack, bottle rockets on and blow it up in the air. I can crash it into a rock. I can put it on the shelf. I can do whatever I want to do with it. I made it and it belongs to me. Well, everything in the creation belongs to God, and he can do with it what he wants as he works all things together for the good of his people and for his own glory. This, again, should give us a great sense of confidence and encouragement. God owns it. He has a right to dispose of it as he sees fit. Now, God does give us some promises with regard to that. And if you happen to be a part of a nation who is judged by a foreign land, even as that little servant girl that became Naaman's wife's little servant, he's still going to protect you. He's still going to take care of you even through death, if that is what comes. Now we come down to the last one, at least for today. The heavens declare the glory of God. And their expanse proclaims the work of his hands. The firmament 
space declares God's glory. And it tells us that there is a triune God who has created all things for His glory, for our enjoyment, certainly, but also for His glory. Now, when I start to filter my problems through God's glory, then they seem to diminish in their intensity. Because if it's to the glory of God that I be imprisoned or that I be martyred, as I see in the New Testament, that was the very thing that promoted the expanse of the church. Because people could see, hey, this is real. These people really believe in the God who not only creates, but the God who controls all things and is working for the good of his people, for the good of his church, and for the glory of this Creator God. If you don't know the Creator personally this morning, it's a simple thing to have a personal relationship with Him. It's not an easy thing, but it is a simple thing. Look at this verse, Romans 10 and verse 9. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. As we move into this season of resurrection, the Lord's Supper takes on special significance. We invite everyone to participate in the Lord's Supper, all who profess true faith in Christ, all who are communicants in good standing, with any evangelical church, you don't have to be a member of this church. You want to be in good standing with the church. And all who are not in rebellion against God. And how would you know if you were in rebellion against God? Well, you might be practicing some ongoing sin that you know about that just keeps going. Despite uh, the fact that God tells us to confess our sin. And before the elements are passed out, I would encourage you, if that's the case, to bow in the silence of your own heart and confess that there is something grieving God's Holy Spirit and ask His forgiveness and partake of the Lord's Supper with joy, understanding that this is the reason for which Christ came. We'll ask the gentleman to pass out the elements at this time. Before we become come to partake of the body of Christ, I want to ask Bill Bushhouse, if you would, Bill, to lead us in prayer as we thank God for what he's done for us in uh, the body of Christ to nail to the cross. On the evening that Jesus and his disciples had gathered for the Passover meal, Christ began something new for the Christian church, and it was a way of remembrance. And so as we participate in this Lord's Supper, we want to remember what happened that night. We're told in Scripture that Jesus, the same night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which was broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. We sing about the blood of Christ and that there is power in the blood. And right now, before we partake of this cup together, we want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for the blood that he shed for us. And I like to call on Martin Beale to lead us 
in that prayer of thanksgiving. Amen. Jesus also said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I trust that we would never lose the significance of what takes place in the Lord's Supper and that we might remember that this is a means of grace by which God, through the reminder that he gives, would renew our motivation and refresh our spirits to live for him. Now, we have an opportunity to pray this morning. I want to ask uh, Tom Proach, if um, Tom is here, and Pack, if you would, to join us. We want to pray for Don and Delia Hunt as they are going on a mission trip to Cambodia. Also, Andrew Martin is going on that same trip. And Andrew, if you would um, come, we want to pray for you as well. So, uh, Pack, if you would come, and Don and Delia... We'll, um, maybe Christopher, you can give us a microphone. Let me begin our prayer and let me encourage you as we're praying that you would be praying for them and that you would purpose in your heart that you're going to pray for them while they're on the trip. When you travel these days, there are a lot of things involved and we want the trip to go smoothly. We want their contacts there in Cambodia with John Bentley to go well and the trip to result in great production for the sake of the kingdom and an accomplishment of the mission that they would be about. So let's join our hearts together as we pray. Lord, I thank you for these you have called to go on this trip for Andrew and Don and Delia. And I thank you for the opportunity to live in a day and time where we may have instant communication around the world and even travel around the world. Father, we thank you for the United States. We thank you for the light that you have given us in this land. But we pray that you would be with these three as they go to a land where there has not been that light to the extent that we have had it. We thank you that there is light there, and we ask your blessing upon those Christians that they will meet and that they will work with there. Thank you for the vision that you have given to John Bentley to help young people, to help children, to help Christians. And we ask, Lord, that as a result of these going from our church, that we might have greater insight into your work and that corner of the world. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is powerful and that no man can pluck us out of your hand and that your Spirit paves the way, that you are our refuge and our strength, that you are a very present help in time of trouble and in any time. So, Lord, we ask that you might prepare the way on this trip. We pray that everyone might remain in good health We pray that you would clear the paths before them and uh, that the trip might go smoothly. But most of all, we pray that they might be trusting in you and learn through whatever experiences that they encounter, spiritual truths that they might be able to share with us. We pray that the light might spread rapidly in that land and others where people do not know you. And I ask these things in Christ's name. And for his sake. Father, I just thank you for 
these three stepping forward and you bringing them to us in the first place and being a part of this congregation. I pray that this congregation will continually hold them up in prayer throughout their trip to bring them home safely, that their health would be maintained and they would have the strength. We thank you for the age difference uh, that's going out, that we can uh, get different pictures as they come back for the young and the mature. And just ask, Lord, that you would guide their ever thought, their ever being on the trip, that they would be able to minister to those out on the field working and bring back information and ways we can help them, not only financially but spiritually in prayer. We just thank you, Lord, that we are here to serve you, to glorify you for all you've done for us. Thank you for your grace. We pray your continued blessing on this group, this foundation, this church, and a place to come and worship you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. Take plenty of pictures. God bless you. We'll be praying for you. I want to call on Michael Clark in just a moment to lead us in a word of closing prayer. Then Cody is going to come and we're going to sing together. And let me remind you, the next Sunday is Resurrection Day. So we hope that you'll be with us in first light and then here in the service. And that's the time when uh, a lot of people think about coming to church who don't normally come. So you might invite somebody and bring them with you next Sunday. Michael, would you lead us in our closing prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so overwhelmed by your goodness. We thank you for this time of year when we are reminded of the extraordinary price that was paid for our salvation. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. We are very grateful for the opportunity to come back to you when we go astray. We thank you for your loving arms welcoming us. We thank you as well for the guidebook that you give us for our lives, the Bible. We thank you for the family of believers that you surround us with. We thank you, Father, for the leadership that you've provided us as we seek to worship and learn. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to have hope in a bright future because of what you've done for us. Father, we pray that you would equip us to take your word out to others. We ask that you would remind us this week as we think about who we might invite to our Easter service next week. And we pray for traveling mercies for those who will be on the road visiting family and be out and about. We ask that you protect them and let them be light, Lord, that they would carry the excellence and love of Jesus Christ to those that they visit with. We love you, Father, and we praise you, and we give you all the glory. In Christ's precious name, amen.